That's tricky. I just don't like wearing headphones. Yeah, I know. They're like, you know, like if you wear them in a plane and you get like sore ears from wearing them so long. Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of how I feel after doing these because I don't really wear them much. But uh, we have uh, we have Matt Wilkins today. This is actually the first time that we've had a guest with Rowan and I, because normally if Rowan can't do a podcast, I should pick up a guest. We're like, no, we got to talk to Matt together. Yeah. Now it's busy. <laughs> and this one's going to be a cool episode. Because we're talking about cornering, and you know this one. You is say that like all the episodes aren't cool, Matt. <laughs> well, I mean, you, we need to give someone a reason to to stay tuned in, right? Because yeah, you lose be people cool, in right? the first like uh, minute, so we need to make sure we know what we're in for today. The okay, reason so got Matt Wilkins and Matt. First of all, how are we going to differentiate you guys? Are you Wilkins, oh. Matt, and William Miller? Yeah. How do we do this? Or is it just Matt one and Matt two? Well, normally my personal podcast persona is just MTV PhD, but it's a bit long to say if you're asking a question. I'll just assume actually you're directing all the questions to Matt because I think uh, you're not going to want to hear from me from this one. What I want to hear, <laughs> I want to hear from you guys in this one because you guys are the skills coaches. And I think maybe I can just help with the, I don't know, point the discussion or something. But the reason we're talking to Matt is because this is this comes this was a few years ago now. Uh, this is when Breakace was a wired unit on a data logger, had to plug it into the computer. It's way more streamlined now. It was it was kind of a mess to use, but I would um, do some webinars, and there was this webinar where I did some testing with with flat pedals, which I never ride, and it turns out one of my key opportunities. That break I said identified for me was only a key opportunity when I was riding with the clipless pedals, but actually I went way faster with flat pedals around this one corner. I didn't understand what was happening. Why was I riding faster with flat pedals? Because the whole lap was faster. And I never ride them. I don't understand what was happening. So Matt just sent me a, an Instagram message. And he's like, hey, um, try this when you're riding. And I don't even remember what it was. I think it was something with turning my hips through the corner which I was able to do better on the flats. I was like, that's when my eyes were just open. I was like, wow, I don't I don't know what I'm doing with cornering. I need to kind of work on this. Do you remember that, Matt? Yeah, I think it was uh, something I asked you about whether it was which foot you ride uh, forward, which is your preferred foot forward, and then uh, sort of which I think you mentioned in the webinar that was always one direction or that, that one corner that got you. And... Um, yeah, just suggested maybe your hips are out of alignment because a lot of times when we ride, it's a weird sort of sport, mountain biking, I guess, and the fact that we have a switch stance, uh, but we still face forward. You know, if you're skateboarding, surfing, um, those sort of things where we do have a split stance, um, our hips sort of face the same direction as our feet. Um, that's what we're trying to do, I guess, in mountain biking. So it's just about, yeah, aligning your hips, squaring them off um, so that your hips won't almost counter-rotated into that corner. Yeah, that that actually makes sense. Because actually, you didn't say all that in a short one-line Instagram no. message. But whatever you said, I tried, <laughs> and it worked. And I must admit, though, like these days, that one is not at the front of my mind. So I'm going to have to like continue thinking about that when I'm sessioning uh, my key opportunities that are right-hand turns, which is my huge weakness. But do you find that in lots of riders? where Because I lead with my right foot, yep. and I'm much better at turning left. Is that like a standard thing that you guys notice? Yeah, I would well, say. I would simply say, before even worrying about which foot forward, 
most people, almost everyone has a preferred direction of turning left or right. And for whatever reason, potentially comes down to which foot is forward, but almost everybody prefers one way to the other. And that might be just a thing that feels more natural or it could be the biomechanics. But yeah, it's totally not a surprise for anyone to say, oh, I crash more when I turn left or I go faster when I turn right. Yeah, I would agree. It's uh, it's a pretty common thing. We always, I, I know I always fall on the one side and that's the same side that um, I can't corner as well or don't feel as comfortable cornering. It's almost like, um, yeah, you know how if you do surf or skateboard, there's your forehand and backhand, you know, and something just feels more natural. And a lot of that time... Uh, if I tried to surf or skateboard with my wrong foot forward, yeah. I would be in hospital. Yeah, it feels totally weird, hey? So, um, yeah, and that can happen um, with our mountain biking as well. We've got our opposite foot forward. It can be that misalignment of you know, the biomechanics, especially with in terms of how our hips are squared off. That's why it often feels so, so different, so weird. Yeah, which is interesting. So the first time I'd ever heard of you, Matt, was actually I'd been talking about, we did a podcast on this pretty early on, <laughs> remember that, about yes. the idea of trying to square up the hips by thinking about where your knees are, um, basically because your knees are connected to your hips yep. in a pretty solid way. Can't do much about that. Um, and I'd been told, like, hi, oh, my whoever I was talking to it about was like, I did a search and I had just found this like mountain bike coaching Australia description of exactly the same thing. Yep. And nobody else had done this. I was like, well, it's not actually, what do say? it's not a necessary thing and it won't necessarily make you faster thinking about where your knees and your hips are. But it is a core understanding of just how our bodies work and how they impact the bike. And so it is funny that basically we both had the same history in a different way of how we were exposed to what basically that you existed. Um, so let's just step back for a bit. What yep. is your history, Matt? Uh, my history? Well, yeah, well, your, your story of how you got to where you are now. Who are you? Okay. Yeah, well, I'm a mountain bike coach. I uh, live on the sunny coast in Queensland, Australia, and yeah, run a business called Mountain Bike Coaching Australia. Um, I've been coaching now for probably well, full time for about, just trying to think, since pre COVID, just pre COVID, so about four years. Um, and sort of background PMBI, uh, Professional Mountain Bike Instructors Association, um, is the sort of background I have, the coaching qualifications. I do a bit of instructor training for them as well. So, um, and then, yeah, we run a bunch of programs here on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, got a couple of development squads, after school programs, and then group clinics and things like that with adults as well. So I had a background in like human movement studies. So as a cardiac scientist before this, just sort of well, I've got that that's why I was into break ace and all that sort of stuff when it um you know when it was when Matt was sort of introducing it all there and that piqued my interest so because you guys yeah. aren't just like using the feelingsometer when you're doing like cardiac science eh? you're using like actual sensors <laughs> there's no <laughs> yeah. guessing in that one right no that's right it's a lot of data and it's all milliseconds and it's all yeah the minutiae of uh yeah how the heart works so so yeah yeah that's why it sort of interested me but um but yeah, that's you my feel preference. like that has helped you as a coach. Uh, yeah, I think uh, that sort of um, well, it's interesting. I think uh, coaches. Uh, the reason we have heaps of coaches is because people identify with different coaches. 
So riders that do have that analytical approach um, and like to know the details of everything, I think they can identify with the way that I coach. But it has also mean that I've had to modify my coaching for riders that a lot of riders ride by feel, a lot of really good riders ride by feel and don't need to know the ins and outs of everything so they don't reinvest in their skills, you know? Yeah, I definitely understand that. I'm lucky being in Western Australia, a majority of our industry is mining and engineering and technical based. And so even the people who might not think of themselves as an analytical person have just been basically retrained over years of having to think about things in a technical way that you can explain things to them. But you're right. It's different people learn in different ways. And it is good to have that option when it's there. 100%, 100%, yeah. And if we can explain things simply, I think that's the key for anyone, really. You don't want to get bogged down talking about the details of everything and not riding because that's how we learn, riding our bikes, hey? And it's easy to get stuck like talking about a whole bunch of uh, detail. And, yeah, we can think about and analyse stuff as much as we want, but it's the practice that really makes the, the magic happen. Speaking well, of uh, talking about it, I, I remember on your website you had, like, lots of videos didn't you uh, uh on like mountain bike skills is that is that what i remember no i didn't have i had a bunch of i'd written a couple of articles and things there oh, but yeah. yeah yeah not a whole lot of bits i'm i'm pretty useless at putting videos together. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's hard isn't it to put together a video yeah, yeah like, you well, i know what i want to say but now it looks terrible when i put it out and then no one gets it on youtube or whatever and i thought i had all this content and then i'd say it and it's actually only three seconds of stuff (laughs) yo just a quick pause here i just want to remind you of the gentleman's agreement so yes it's called the gentleman's agreement you'll have to go back and look at uh, several episodes ago to see what we actually mean about it it's a little bit of joke but hey we do the demystifying mtb podcast uh in addition to everything that rowan and i do on break so we we want to create free content and the gentleman's agreement is if you're listening to this free content go follow us on instagram at break and uh the the best thing you can do as part of the gentleman's agreement to accept this free content is get yourself a break so we have pre-orders open now get them on breakace.com all right sweet yeah yeah and it is a difficult thing hey like mountain bike skills via video i think the big thing uh, that we learn and progress is through feedback and whether that feedback is via a coach or via data um you know i think that's that's the real key with progression i think is that feedback so and coaching is a it's a two-way communication isn't it and a lot of the videos and things like that's one way we don't actually get we're giving out information but yeah, we're not getting anything back from the rider and, and then giving feedback. So I think that's why online coaching is still um, an online content. Like there's there's a long way to go with it for sure. Yeah, you definitely see those how to ride videos with comments that it's like, that's such a simple question. And it's like, yes, that's the question you should be ask, asking, but you've got no one to get a defined like specific answer from is you'll suddenly have 20 people reply with their own thing and they might all be right but just yeah. that when what's the next step after watching a video is yeah. is the struggle with learning yep yeah yeah yep yeah because yeah, you can get out there and do it and you don't really know whether you're doing it necessarily correctly yeah, so you you've been using breakace and so yep. talking about data yep. uh who have you been using it with uh well with myself 
uh, a lot, which is which has been cool. Um, and some of the riders that that I'm working with, so some of the the young um, development squad riders, uh, we've been uh, using it with them. Which has been you cool. find, yeah, even the younger kids. So talking about well, whether to be analytical, like in your delivery of the how tos, or try and simplify, or be a bit more by feel. You find even with kids, it varies the same way. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think. Um, Oh, it's a hard one with it depends on the rider again they can still be analytical um like junior riders but a lot of them are riding by feel and you just need to identify that's the cool thing about break ace with those key opportunities like these are the areas that we go work on and you go check it out and a lot of time it it can be about feel so thinking about corners like the big thing we're trying to do i guess with all of our riding is be stable hey like have the right position so that we have stability which means that we've got great attraction grip um and ability out in the trail so um a lot of it comes back to that that feeling for these these riders it's like how can we be more stable on our bikes through this section of trail and that could be leaning more could be leaning less could be leaning the bike more it could be you know disconnecting from the bike there's all sorts of things that can happen especially with a corner yeah oh unlimited options for through a corner yeah 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 and sometimes kids don't need to or want to really know about the physics you know that if you lean harder then your center of mass is going to move further away from that base of support so centrifugal force has to be more which means you've got to go faster but if you go too fast and there's no traction you slide out they they that can all go on in the background they don't really care what do you mean <laughs> that all sounds obvious that's a simple explanation <laughs> exactly if, what's happening as a kid if someone explained it to me that way i would have been like it probably would have changed my life. <laughs> I would have been like, what? Okay, I got it. Let's do it. You sure you would have just never touched a bike? You know, this is not fun. I just want to ride. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think kids, they love, um, and a lot of, yeah, a lot of riders are riding by feel for sure. And then you can just adjust, say, a position. It could be the position they're in, an entry of corner, middle of a corner, exit of a corner, because it's not like we stay stationary um, or in a fixed position um through a corner so yeah it's just such a big topic cornering yeah that's what we we talked about an email because we're like okay yeah we want to talk about cornering just because of that initial interaction that we had so many years ago but then we're like okay how are we going to explore this because it's such a big topic yeah and yeah. i think we all agree on that it's like oh man how do we unpack yeah, you'd cornering? first send an email like hey yeah we'll chat we'll make the topic cornering and i was like no that's <laughs> that's not a topic that is 300 topics uh, but that is also why cornering is always a good thing to discuss because you yeah. can simplify aspects of it. Yeah, I think the biggest bang for buck for most of us is our position and stability through a corner. It's probably, probably the biggest thing that we can improve and work on or even think about um, and refine to get that, that biggest improvement. When we yeah, talk about this... That, I would say it sounds like, like that's a, a foundation basic thing to do. And so you're talking about, okay, we're taking a development squad teenage rider that flies down the mountain and let's say, yeah, you've got a break case has told you these key opportunities and you get to a corner. Is it reasonable? Like, is that how you would do things is go back to say, well, okay, are you stable? Yeah, well, I think, I think the big thing between, uh, I'm going to say this, I don't know whether it's founded, but um, I think the big difference between us amateur riders and the pros is the pros do the fundamentals pretty much bang on all the time 
we can do the fundamentals a lot of the time in maybe slower speeds, easier terrain, but when in the challenge increases, and that could be speed or terrain, maybe we don't do those fundamentals quite as well. So yeah, bringing it back to that, but it could be as simple as something like, okay, we're coming into this corner, I notice you're losing traction as you enter. So as we enter this corner, we're just gonna come into every corner and we're going to shift our weight forward just slightly. So maybe one centimeter chin in front of the stem to help weight the front of the tire to get more traction as we enter this corner to improve that line. And that can be as simple as it can be. It doesn't have to be like we're going back to make sure we're hinging at the hips and bent elbows and, and all that sort of thing there. It's like, how can we increase traction? Because your entry to this corner is just all out of whack. When you're thinking about your corner, this hypothetical yep. corner, I, yep. I'm thinking about a specific, specific corner yep. on my home trails. What corner are you thinking about when you're thinking about cornering? Just to give us a visual as you're explaining your, uh, like, what is the trail? What is the dirt like? What is the shape of the turn? And how fast are you coming into it? Where are you breaking? Give us a little bit of, little bit of background on your corner. Um, well, I'm thinking about, uh, let's just think about like the race we had on the weekend. Dusty, loose, fairly, fairly smooth corners, big radius, berms, sort of corner that freaks me out a lot because I've had a couple of big crashes on high speed berms. Um, yeah, so let's think about a corner like that where you're coming in pretty quick and you probably, there's heaps of support through that corner um, and there's the temptation to maybe break towards the exit because you're starting to freak out that you've entered that corner too hot. I know, like going going a downhill <laughs> berm here. Hey, yeah, it can be, yeah, descending, descending berm as well, yeah. Sounds scary. Uh, so when you're, because th- you you mentioned stability twice that was there, and fun. I think, <laughs> of, fun. of course, I mean, and it's scary. Someone, yeah, it's got to be a scary one if someone's like tendency is going to be to break on the exit because they just gain so much speed in it. Uh, that's a there's a lot going on there. I guess. Um, oh, I I had an idea. What what was I going to say? I I don't remember. Um, you did say you could picture the corner. Yeah, I can picture the corner. I think we have one like it. I'm, I'm hoping it's a left-hand turn, actually, for myself. But you know, those <laughs> those are those are my weakness as well, like berms. And you know, you you look at a berm and you're like, well, that's easy. You just push really hard into it, and you come out with all this speed. But even on berms, like you could either you know lose a lot of speed or waste a lot of energy trying to get back up the speed after it. And we see all these big differences between people on probably what we'd consider one of the more basic yet scary kinds of turns. Mm-hmm. So when you when you talk about cornering, wh- what does it mean to you on on this on this corner? What, do, what does cornering mean? Just getting around it? Getting around it with control? Getting yeah. around it fast? Well, for me, if it's a race situation and if we're trying to get faster, it's all about the exit speed how much speed I can carry through that corner and the exit speed. And most of us have an issue of like breaking not enough or way too late at the entry of a corner like this. So we're coming in super hot and uh, we want to go as fast as we can or we've just gone through the starting gate, you know, 10 seconds beforehand and we're um, all hyped up in that race mode. As as you know, you look at your break A starter from a practice session and then from a race and <laughs> your breaking can be a whole lot different. 
Um, so yeah, I, mean, I think I think fear plays a lot of what we do in a corner like this. It may not actually be that we are losing traction, uh, that we aren't. You know, there, there's something going on there that's making us a little bit scared in that corner, and I think that can lead a lot to breaking. And you see that with break ace with a um, break check. Mm. Yeah, definitely like berms being like, okay, it's a bermed corner. Mm-hmm. But describing a flat corner is much simpler. A bermed corner, you still haven't really defined what that corner is. The angle of the berm, the, mm-hmm. where it starts, where it finishes, how loose it is. Is there like bumps through this berm or is it smooth? Is it rutted out and there an overhang? Like that fact of you've gotten around a corner and the berm finishes. You've now got a distraction of there's a definite end to this berm, but it's not necessarily where the corner ends. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, this getting scared isn't necessarily, oh, I'm scared that I'm going to slide out. I'm scared that I'm not going to make the corner. It's just this, oh, I didn't expect that. And like that's yep. the big case where we'll see break checks is this something's gone on that your brain has just gone, what? And the different levels of what impact you in different ways and you're just trying to process and you want to ignore it, but you can't. And so, yeah, a berm like this, just the simple fact of the berm finishing might be enough to make you hit the brakes. Mm-hmm. And so that for me, when I was like, well, what, are, what would I think of a corner like this? It's basically staying the pilot, like being the driver of the bike and not just letting the trail tell you what you're doing. Because in berms, if it's really well-built berm, you can just let the trail take control. Mm-hmm. You can just hold on, lean in, let it go, and it feels absolutely amazing. Most berms aren't like that, or they're not like that for long after they first get built. And so having to do a corner and stay as the pilot rather than the passenger is a big part of getting around any corner. But a berm where it's this high speed is even more important because things are just coming at you super fast that you haven't necessarily had time to see and process before you get halfway around that corner. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And it's, um, you think about cornering, what are we doing? We're steering, leaning, um, and rotating, you know, there's some rotational. In pretty much every corner we do, whether it's flat or berms, and it's just a matter of how much and when we apply that, which is sort of different between berms and a flat corner. One thing I've been sort of working on, especially these high-speed berms that you're coming into, is starting to, I think something we do as coach, or something that I've noticed that I do as a coach, is we talk a lot about separating the body from the bike. You know, angulation, whatever you want to call it, disconnecting from the bike. Talk about that. We talk about hip rotation a little bit more with our advanced uh, riders. And then inclination is something that we may not talk. Inclination is what I mean when we say we stay connected to the bike, so we lean with the bike. And um, it's something I've been working on a lot more and when to initiate that. So in a berm like this, being, and you starting to initiate that maybe half a metre or a metre beforehand. So start to, to lean so I'm not entering the corner and then like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to overcook this and then trying to move the body because moving the body is super hard. Moving the bike's easier. That's the lighter part of the system. Um, but, yeah, if we can initiate a lean a little bit earlier, then sometimes that'll help us get into that position so we are more stable through that corner and you watch like it's crazy you watch um some really good footage from um the santa cruz syndicate when they were in new zealand and it was laurie greenland and 
Jackson Goldstone, and you watch their hip counter rotation to drag their body into the corner. They're rotating the opposite way, pull the bike like a moto, pull that, start leaning the body and pull it, pull the body into the corner so they can lean hard enough to to rip around those corners. It's pretty cool. I can't ride that fast <laughs> to make that even happen, but it's pretty cool to see them doing that. Yeah, that it is interesting. You're talking a lot about the prep, like everything yeah. you said about the corner is preparing yourself yeah, for that 100%. corner. Yeah, you mentioned yeah. the braking to make sure you're at a speed that you feel comfortable. You mentioned like, yeah, leaning angle, inclination before yeah. you get there, including yeah, this countered sort of rotation because yeah, that's how we get our body weight yeah, inside. It's all before the corner. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think we can. That's I don't know you guys from your own experience but yeah there's nothing worse than being reactive riding reactively like when you ride at night like, oh, 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 oh. there's all sorts of stuff coming at you all over the place because you you know there's a lot going on and the lights maybe not as great as during the day but yeah that um yeah that ability to prepare and set up much earlier is the key to a lot of a lot of riding for sure and would you say that's a experience thing or confidence uh, is it something you can make yourself do or is like is it something as you're explaining to someone is like okay let's go practice it somewhere else or is it a well just try it right now we're here do it on this corner yeah well and then you can apply it if you do i guess that's why like coaching if you think about you let the terrain do a lot of the teaching so if you're going to if you are going to focus on if you're working with me for example who's afraid to lean into a corner a little bit um yeah you find a trail that has multiple corners that have heaps of support um that you can ride at different speeds and then it's just like let's go ride this trail and we're going to think about initiating that lean half a meter before um the corner and then yeah let's let's try a little bit faster and maybe we'll apply that lean we're going to lean with the bike stay connected and we're just going to start that a meter before but maybe not as much and then as you hit the right you know as you enter that corner then you can start to apply that lean even more so yeah that's something i personally have been working on um and yeah that's hard to put into practice <laughs> yeah and so this is for you're talking about you had a race over the weekend and there's yep. corners like this mm -hmm. so you would see an improvement in races is it if you're not racing is there a benefit like okay i i want to ride well but maybe not faster yep yeah i mean yeah definitely it's something like i guess that's the thing you look at with any coaching or any of your own riding it's like where where can i improve and you don't want to think about it too much you want to think about it for your training sessions and when you're working on it but in a race you don't really want to be thinking about this stuff hey you just want to put your brain in a bucket in one sense and just trust the work that you've done is going to come into the fore um so yeah you can certainly apply it and you know you can definitely apply it to pretty much all of your riding and some of the, i reckon some of the best learnings i have is when i'm riding with riders that maybe aren't as fast and you actually have the time um to practice these things muck around with it learning the when and how much basically like how much do i need to do this when do i apply it does it change the speed that's all the the big thing i think and that's what you sort of work with i think with those more more advanced riders you know a lot of the fundamentals they've got there and then you just apply you're starting to tweak that and apply it maybe bend the rules sometimes that when and how much but yeah yeah right go and have fun so it can sink in yeah 100 percent. yeah you got to go ride you just have to go ride and um 
and yeah, and you can have that in the back of your mind. And that single focus, I think, is really cool. It's like let's just switch everything else off, and that's what we're going to focus on on, the, on this ride. And I think that's the key with if you're looking at, especially your key opportunities, just pick one of those things. Like you know, brake aces picking it up. Pick one of those things that you might might be a benefit for you in that in that section. And try that. Try that repeatedly. A little bit more, a little bit less. Try at different speeds. Focus on that one that one thing. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, get that yeah. dialed. Yeah, regardless of whether you're going flat out. And if you are riding with someone slower than you and you get to that section, you're like, oh, this was a key opportunity when I was here going flat out. Yeah, yeah. And I get it perfect today because I am riding this bit slower because I'm riding with other friends who might not yeah, be yeah. Going fast. Yeah, that's right. And it's it's interesting. You don't want to say that, like, you don't want to fall in the trap of always saying, oh, you've got to do this in a corner or this is the right way, this is the wrong way. Like, there's always times you know where there's pros and cons there's things that are going to work better in certain situations and then things that won't work so well in that situation but neither are necessarily right or wrong because as you i mean look at these pros that are now counter rotating into a corner to lean like it's not something you'd really you know work on necessarily with a, a beginner rider and you don't want to say that you always rotate your hips to the outside of the corner yeah, complicating it and adding in some commitment. Where, <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, yeah, if you yeah. are going the same speed as these pro riders, you probably want to start doing that more. Yeah, but yeah. Until Definitely. that point, yeah. sometimes play with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. But also, if it's the same kind of corner that they're riding, because different kinds of corners, you're going to have to ride differently than this berm that we're talking about, aren't we? Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm thinking about we've been doing these Wednesday night XC races. And there's, it's just flat turns. I've been doing doing it on my short travel trail bike, which has like the bars a bit too high. And you know, like when, when you're doing flat turns, which used to be the thing that I thought was my specialty, you know, cause we're riding XC bikes, high post, you have to like dip your shoulders in and you just look a bit funny going into it. It looks totally different than what everyone's doing in the downhill world cups and things like that, where they're riding higher uh, bike body separation. And, you know, I, I get to these flat turns and I'm trying to do this the same way that I, I used to corner as an XC racer. And my bike's just not set up to be able to corner that way because the front's too high. And I, I'm just a mess coming into these corners. It's, I'm just not riding it the way my my body thinks I should be riding it. It just looks really terrible. And But this is a flat left-hand turn, the one that I'm talking about. I'm just all over the place. I'm kind of exiting in into the bush on the exit of the turn is just no good so like you know th th it depends on your your bike setup it depends on uh yourself as a rider how you're coming into it and what the corners shaped like uh, yeah is that right yeah. or is there is there more to it am i missing that's a lot to it like you don't yeah. want to <laughs> yeah if there is thing yeah things like bike setup you think about an xc bike if you've got the seat right up underneath you you can't create a whole lot of separation from the bike you can't disconnect a lot that's why droppers i think are so cool yeah you know, because we can disconnect we're not you know stuck to the bike so much so um yeah but if your handlebars are super high yeah you can feel like you're getting all sort of squashed up and your elbows low and weird and you're out of out of whack there's a whole lot that goes into all of these things but i think if you break it down corners do involve like lean turning turning handlebars different degrees switch back corners up a climb heaps of turn on handlebars um but yeah but you're still always turning the bar slightly 
um, leaning, and that can be staying connected to the bike or disconnected and that rotational movement. And it's just a difference of how much of those you use depending on the support in the corner. Yeah. And then it's not just the different corners. The conditions could change yeah. from one lap to the next on exactly the same trail, and it's a very different corner. Mm -hmm. A lot of features, like what is that, like a rock garden or a drop or something, okay, it might get a bit more slick and maybe impact a bit how you ride it, but corners change drastically with changing conditions. A little yeah. more rubble, a little more mud, uh, yeah. dug out, like the top of the corner gets blown out, make massive differences. So yeah, I think yeah. that is one of the things that people forget with corners is you can't just practice riding a corner. You have to practice riding every corner to be prepared for what the current conditions are for that corner when you hit it this time at a different speed or a different amount of traction. Yeah, maybe you have got a slightly flat front tyre that's a bit more squishy or back tyre is a bit more squishy or your suspensions now, yeah, you've switched bikes or uh, you've got different tread or yeah, your handlebars are higher or wider or something. Something's changed since you've done it before. But it could simply be, oh, there's one little rock that got rolled into your line and you're now on a different line coming into it and everything has changed. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, if, and it comes back to, like, I guess it's all of those core skills, hey? So terrain awareness, being able to read the terrain, which is the surface, obstacles on the course, which direction it's going, and gradient is all, it's a fundamental skill, but it's something that, like to for your point there, Rowan, is so important, you know, because a corner changes every time you're going to come into it. And if you're not looking through it or, you know, at least looking at as what coming at uh, as what is coming ahead, then you're going to get stuck and maybe not able to apply the, the right technique. And you're also going to struggle to find a mountain bike trail that doesn't have a corner on it. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Not Even much. if you do, it's gonna be really boring. But there's gonna be a corner at the end at some point. Yeah, Matt, is, is this why, because in our emails that we were sending, you said, well, what if we talk about direction control instead and fo focus on that part? So what, what do you mean by direction control, though? Because obviously we aren't riding in that hypothetical, very, very straight trail, which I don't know, that'd be a bit scary unless it was like real bumpy and stuff. But I mean, direction control, that kind of is what mountain biking is. And I'm thinking, you know, in a situation where it's 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 kind of a corner but maybe it's more off camber and we need to control the direction of our bike by using some of these maybe similar techniques i don't know you tell me but just to to stay on the bike to go straight mm -hmm. yeah so what, do you, what do you mean by that yeah so direction control you can think about that as being small changes in direction so you could be on one side of the trail and then there's a big rut that you need to get onto the other side you know so a small direction change big direction changes are like corners and then sometimes it can just be maintaining a line. So an off-camber section of trail, yeah, you might want to rotate your body and your hips so that you're moving your centre of mass closer to that base of support and able to engage the side knobs of the tyre. So, yeah, it's all skills that we can use for everything, you know, in terms of direction control. And you think that's what we're doing the whole time on the track. Like you said, whether it is staying in a straight line, you think about trying to, like, maintain a line through a rock garden, if you're totally static and you're not moving at all and not letting the bike move and sometimes we have to create tension to allow you know to be strong and stable but then when those sort of um, external forces are too much for our 
for us and the bike to handle, we've got to release that tension so we can let the bike move, keep our core nice and stable, um, and then roll on through. So it's a lot of the same stuff. Yeah, all of these skills, I guess, are what we use all the time, just in different situations. Yeah, so instead of considering, okay, direction control, changing direction, get around a corner, and we're talking yep. about how do we corner, we can say direction control anytime we're having to control our direction. It's like, well, constantly. So yeah, rock garden, go straight line, point A to point B. You're not just letting the bike totally go. It's moving up, down, left, right. Mm-hmm. But your your body that you're trying to get straight down there mm-hmm. has to be staying pretty straight to let the bike move but then at the same time we can be on a perfectly straight road and doesn't mean we have to be riding perfectly straight we can steer and lean and make the bike wiggle down the road avoid a pothole avoid the dog that just ran out of the driveway you know some things can happen so there is direction control without cornering but then obviously when you get to a corner the direction control just becomes really obvious because yep. if you don't apply it, you don't make the corner. Yeah, hundred percent. Yep. Yeah, it's such a it's a huge topic, but I think like you think about most riding, and you look at beginner riders through to like the elite level riders, the amount of I guess the range of motion on a bike and when a rider can apply that range of motion is like on a sliding scale. You look at someone like Brandon Seminuk or Jack Moyer, like their range of motion is huge. Um, and they can apply it when they need to. Um, and a beginner rider, just terrified most of the time and just stuck to the bike. So it's that. And that that's why, yeah, greater range of motion and when to apply it. You can corner better. You can maintain a line better. Pump the trail better. What, can, what kind of range of motion are you, do you mean? Because I'm thinking Jack Moore, and I, I can imagine him just riding on an off-camber section. He's like, his hips are pointed, like the, the way they should be. His legs are... You know he's got big long legs and the, his legs are pointed the way they should be yep. and he gets through it really really fast yeah uh is that what you mean by range of motion is yeah. mostly so, in the hips like back to that well yeah but in all planes so our four aft range of motion so you know moving the bike backwards and forwards um our vertical range of motion so up and down think about when you're pumping the track um our lateral range of motion so that's our classic body bike separation leaning the bike more than the body into a corner and there's the rotational as well so you've got these four planes that we're always using um and those pro riders top riders can use that as much or as little as they need and they can do it super quick as well like you watch the world cup downhill and it's just incredible like the range of motion these riders have but how quickly they can move through that and i don't know if you've ever ridden a pump track and you get there and everything like you're good for the first couple of rollers then everything gets out of whack <laughs> you ever had that um i've had it um yeah yeah yeah, yeah. of yeah. course <laughs> you can't move through that range of motion quick enough yeah. yeah 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 i really like that you mentioned this range of motion uh for the clinics we run for if you're doing a group clinic with us you have to do a, our foundation mm-hmm. clinic first and we pack in as much as we can just to expose everyone to like well, this is the basics of how to ride a mountain bike. Go and practice if you want, but as long as you've been exposed to these, you're now good to join rock gardens, drops, jumps, all of that. Regardless of your riding history, you have to come to this foundation clinic. And basically, it exactly covers that range of motion. So we try and expose everybody to what is the actual full 
dynamic range and position you can get into. So, well, if you're talking about getting low, you're basically butts on the saddle and chins on the stem. Like you're as low as you can possibly go. And as high as you can go is pretty much standing straight up. And then left to right side, like, okay, yep, yeah, how much can we angle the bike? How much can we lean? Um, being one way, but then the other way to consider it is also, well, the body staying still and the bike moving under you. So for example, that pumping through a pump track, you're trying to get that full dynamic range of motion happening in the right time with the pumps and rollers. Uh, but you can also use the pump track as a tool to practice. If I just want to go from one end of the pump track to the other mm -hmm. with these rollers that are going up and down, basically the same size as me or same size as my arms and my legs, I can try and just look to the end, keep my body totally level. My head doesn't move up and down at all. And I have the bike come up and down below me because it's still using this range of motion. Like it's not all about how far can we move the body. It's what position can we get into these dynamics of the bikes moving? Do I want to move with it or do I want to move to not be going with it? So absorb it or push against it. Yeah. This, like that is for me, that is how to ride a mountain bike. Yeah, 100%. And it's, you think about that system again, if we're thinking about our bike and a body as a system, bike's pretty much always lighter, unless you're like these young kids. I don't know how they ride a bike. They're awesome. But um, yeah, where our bike is lighter than the system, even than our body, even an e-bike. Um, and it's much easier to move that bike around than it is to move our body. Um, but we still have to move our body a little bit. And that's the challenge. And yeah maintaining that stability when you're moving your body and getting your body back in line yeah it's super tricky and that's why you see advanced riders doing that you know you look at brandon seminuk and his hips can be way off the side of his bike like it's incredible um but he can still maintain his balance and bring everything back in line and if i was to try that i reckon i'd probably <laughs> fall straight on yeah yeah, yeah. i think watching these pro riders and you see how big their movements are i'd say mm. it's not just how far they can move you look at like the key points of where they're hitting a rock that's like really like hard impact or airing off a jump or a drop or something or you know just where they're really making something happen on the trail they're back in this sort of more centered position balanced stable on the bike so that they can then move from there when the bike is maybe twisted or unweighted or you know they're actually trying to make some some unstable forces like a corner happen yeah but i think the actual skill is how do you control all of these movements in a way that you're perfectly stable at the point where you're getting some forces back from the trail so you're not having to fight to balance like do the act of balancing at that point you can yeah. be balancing around a corner manualing off a drop if it's super slow if you have to that generally you just want to be in the bike so as these forces happen you just naturally stay on the bike you can deal with it, and yeah. it's incredible to watch the pro guys just instantly back in this stable position hit a rock swing the hips to the side make a corner happen back to the centered stable position to hit another rock go off a drop and all of this movement but it comes back to this like i said if you're stable coming into a corner if you're stable coming into a rock garden you just you're ready yeah yeah and i think that now that i think about it it's like back to our our berm that we're coming in super high speed 
you think about once you're connected to the bike your ability to adjust what happens diminishes like it it's like you're dialing down how much you can adjust so leaning into a corner staying connected to the bike is a super committing move whereas if you've lent the bike a little bit more than the body then you've got the ability to adjust how much of that lean a lot easier if you're connected <laughs> you're almost you know on for the ride and you've got it yeah. especially if you start sliding yeah, yeah. Or you're still connected that means your body's yeah. going to that's yeah, really yeah. interesting I, yeah. I never thought of it like that because I, you know, obviously with my XC background, always connected to the bike, cornering on flat turns. I never rode a berm until I moved to New Zealand, which was in 2014. I've never even seen one. You know, maybe a few at some of the, the bike parks, but they were definitely not just what we deal with today. Not the one that you're talking about. So I, I didn't know what to do. And I think um, I, I'm shit at riding berms. Okay. And uh, maybe that is one of the reasons is because I am still trying to stick with my staying connected kind of thing to the bike and not leaning the bike enough. And that's maybe something I haven't really considered. Yeah. And like Matt said earlier, where it's like, well, everything's your steering, your turning, your inclination. And so bike body separation is always there a bit. And so, yeah, I think for a lot of people, like you're talking about of going around a corner on an XC bike, that bike body separation is so limited, but if you did separate from the bike, but it doesn't matter if it's an even perfect berm that you don't need to have this bike body separation. If you know that it's there a little bit, then it's available to you. Yeah. So you might be partway around this perfect berm and yeah, suddenly the front tire slides out or hits a root, or you've realized that, oh, I actually have to turn to cut inside because there's a rut on the exit or something's happening that this perfect berm suddenly isn't perfect anymore. That bike body separation being available to you even if you weren't actively using it around the rest of that berm is all part mm. of being up a corner well knowing that this full massive toolbox of skills comes into play in every corner and you've just got to pick and choose how much and when of each one yeah and you can think about it too in terms of your position so if you want to be balanced through a corner or able to adjust so if we're thinking about balance in order to balance we need a range of motion so if you're in a position on the bike where your elbows are no longer bent um, or you're hanging off the back you think about your range of motion disappears so your ability to adjust then has also disappeared uh, which means that as soon as you if you're losing traction then that's pretty much end game so that's why position stability um you know they the stability and balance play such a huge part for all of our riding and often yeah you think about i can think about times when when i've uh lost it in corners and it, often it's been because my i've lost that range of motion for whatever mm. reason you know my position and then you're pretty much a passenger you're on for the yeah ride. I think um, one of the one of the confounding things here, because I can imagine this a perfect body position that you're talking about, separating myself from the bike and you know getting everything dialed, just like Jack Moore would, with his <laughs> legs that are probably as long as I am tall, and yep. then you know, but uh, that's me in my in my in my mind dialing in this perfect corner. But one of the things I'm thinking about though is that's hard to do when you get tired. Mm. You know, like staying like. Uh, you turning because you when you're tired, you just want to sit on the saddle, right? And do the bare minimum and just get down the trail because you're still getting hit with bumps and they make you tired. You still need to control the bike, which makes you tired, whether you're doing it right or wrong. 
and I don't know if maybe doing it right is more tiring or not, but when you start to get tired, that's when things fall apart, right? And maybe that's when your crashes happen on, on these turns as well, as you get tired, because maybe you're not using the same direction control that you were when you were fresh. I, I think you did some experimenting recently, like looking at some being tired stuff. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, totally agree. I think stability and balance are definitely affected by fatigue levels. And um, yeah, I did a testing uh, with brake ace and some timing gates on a, I've got a sort of a loop. It's about a six minute climb at a, at sort of, you know, a relative, relatively hard pace. And you can hit this technical section. It takes about one and a half minutes. So yeah, I just did a test to see if I could still hit that one minute 25 um, on the technical descent. There's heaps of loose rock and just flat corners. It's just like mountain biking I love, but a lot of people hate. Um, and then, yeah, get back up, finish the climb, eight minutes total to do that. So whatever time I had left at the end of the climb, I could rest, which slowly diminished uh, over the hour. And my times did get worse by about three seconds. Um, and interestingly, my key opportunities changed. Ah, no way. Yeah, so uh, for each run, I just did a, I had the brake ace on and I recorded every single run and my braking was pretty good. It was before all the technical, you know, like I could see where all my braking was, was before the technical section. None of the technical, like the crux parts of it were key opportunities because um, I'd worked on them before. Uh, but as I go about the eighth repetition, <laughs> They were all key opportunities. <laughs> okay, so funny. Really funny. Yeah. And um, so this was so you'd taken some timing gates at the top and the bottom of the whole trail, or oh, just the, through these important yeah. sections. Yeah, of the descent. So the descent's about one and a half minutes. Yeah. So my goal was to try and try and stay at that speed <laughs> um, with that fatigue. So it was sort of to prove a point too for the the uh, development squad why we need to work on our fitness. Yeah. But for you subjectively obviously the more times you do a trail the more you know it and especially if you're doing it back to back it just yeah. becomes easy in that you're not having to think about it you know what's coming before it's there just mm -hmm. because it's so fresh mm -hmm. so subjectively did you feel like you were getting better no no, <laughs> the, the no well. so i could feel that i was just getting worse and it was interesting i could start to feel vibrations through my head at the end of it you know when you're just because you're you're getting tired you're stiffening up a bit and you're trying to stack your body uh to support you rather than using muscles and then yeah they were coming down through some of these chundry sections and it was just like oh i can't really see that much but i know <laughs> i think it's um was it lewis kirkwood did he do the yeah. yeah yeah i remember him talking on a podcast saying that as soon as you get the vibrations to your head it normally precedes a fall yeah like, he reckons oh. head bob once you see someone yeah. coming down a hill in like the vital raw or the slow-mo and you see that head bob he reckons that's when a crash is about to happen <laughs> <laughs> that's all which I is can... also scary because a lot of beginner riders have a head bob 100 percent of the time yeah mm. it's because they're connected to the bike hey ah. and every bump that the bike is feeling it's getting transferred to them because they can't create and release tension in their body yeah to deal and with they it. don't have the experience to be able to look at something and know what's going to happen so now yeah. they've got this head bob because they're fighting the bike so hard they're yep. trying to see what's coming down the trail and process it, but they actually they can't, can't fast see. enough. <laughs> and they can't see, and they also just don't know what to do. So yeah, it's. Hey, I, I identify with this too. I mean, this happens yeah. to me. This happened to me last week. Yeah. So yeah. I, it happens to all of us, I guess, as we get yeah. tired. 
Yep. Yeah. Hundred percent. And I think that's why it's important that we do have, you know, a level of fatigue resistance built up through strength and conditioning, and um, you know, aerobic fitness and anaerobic capacity and all that sort of stuff. Um, because yeah, otherwise you can't deal with this over a full day of enduro, or even three or four days on a downhill um, at a World Cup downhill where you got track walk, practice runs, seeding runs. Now there's what semi-finals, all sorts of qualies. So yeah, it's still a, a a lot a lot going on there for any. Or any even that just group holiday with your mates. Yeah. Like if you take a long weekend, you go for three days of riding. A lot of the time, we don't actually even do a full day of riding when we do ride. Yeah. And so if you've suddenly made it, oh, I've done a trip away somewhere new. Riding a bike park, especially, is the worst for this, mm -hmm. where you're riding full days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, you might feel okay, but that bit of fatigue, everything slowed down, very quickly impacts. Well, now you're unable to isolate those bumps and the G-forces and everything from your head and your head starts moving yep. and your head wants to protect itself. So yep. that makes you basically you tense up and potentially get on the brakes, which is one of the great things that brake ace, like that I considered why and I joined wanting to build the brake ace was this, well, sometimes the braking is the result of poor, we say conditioning or experiencing that basically something in your mind has gone, ah, and we tense up. And because of that, we hit the brakes, but we hit the brakes while we're tense. And so it just turns out to be horrible braking and it impacts your brain because it's being shaken around. And so fatigue is one thing, but also just being scared. It yep. does this exact same thing. Yeah. And so fatigue is just different in that you're also unable to save yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's no coming back. Hey, it was interesting though with that um, loop that I did and the multiple runs uh, and the changing in times. I could get a higher flow score on break ace. So that flow score, the lower the flow score, more flow, I guess. So the more efficient your braking is. But I could have a higher flow score, but a faster time. So I must have been like compensating with probably sprinting harder, mm. you know, to make up for for braking. Yeah. Well, sprinting <laughs> yeah. or pumping, like generating <laughs> speed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So I was doing something else in there. Mm. Um, and if you can put, that's the cool thing I think with brake ace. If you can put those two things together, then like if I could have a lower flow score, but still, you know, or, or that that lower lowest flow score that I had with applying the power or pumping, um, then that's where the magic happens. Yeah. Combining, so this is a big thing from Matt's background anyway, is that that a thing of when you're, you've got a power meter on there and you can compare your flow score to your power meter, it's super powerful data. Yeah, and I didn't have, I've only got those Garmin XC pedals and I hate riding with them. Oh, you're a flat pedal guy, that's why. Yeah, I, I do ride, I ride, I switch between the two, but I do prefer um, flats. Uh, so I need to get, yeah, crank yeah. But riding clipless and real mountain bike pedals versus just little almost egg beater things is a very <laughs> different story. It's not just yeah. a story of, well, it's, it's, I guess it's the same with flats as well. The combination of pedal and shoe is yeah. still a big factor. You can yeah. almost have a bigger difference between an XC clipless pedal and shoe to a downhill pedal and shoe mm -hmm. than going to a flat pedal. Mm -hmm. Like a downhill clipless pedal and shoe is closer to a flat pedal 
with a big platform, lots of grip and a good shoe than that XC starting point. Just yeah. the confidence, comfort, feeling, control and safety. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Confidence and that fear, we've talked about fear a lot in this. Um, that confidence is the key, I think. And I know it was, I should have put my flat pedals on for this race, um, you know, halfway through, because I think I would have probably ridden faster. Just that, would, would you I, actually change it halfway eight? through though? Like, you'd be like, oh, well, we've done three out of six runs. I'm going to go swap pedals and shoes real quick. No, I wouldn't. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it'd be, it'd be a cool thing to do. Like, the way the, the race format is here now, you can actually do as you can do up to five runs of each track. Wow, that's a yeah. big yeah, yeah. So, and it was actually run over two days. So it was the same four trails, um, or three trails on one day, four on the next. But yeah, you could do up to five runs. So, it would have been a cool experiment just to put my flats on and see. Heck yeah! I don't think I would have done. Yeah, we haven't done that format here yet. We do have a fun race later in the year that will be that. But yeah. as you know, it is getting more popular, and that's it's basically Strava style racing. Yeah, just and it's wait terrible. until the conditions are perfect. It's terrifying because there was at one point um, the top three in my category, we were 0.1 second apart. The three of us after, after <laughs> you know, four stages. Yeah, crazy. Well, it sounds like we might have to have a chat about this style of racing at some point. <laughs> it's cool as well. because it's, yeah, it means you just go out and ride stupid fast. Um, uh, but yeah, it's pretty cool for using brake ace on too. If you get multiple runs. Yeah, you yeah, get a chance definitely. to see. And I guess just even that comparing your time, yeah. like, you know, okay, let's try something. And yep. so subjectively, you're like, I tried this, it felt better. Hey, my time was better. Yep. And then, yeah, if you've got break ace in there as well, it's like, oh, okay, I felt better, but this bit is now somewhere else I can try. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's I think, the opportunity. Yeah. I think that's the cool thing with break ace. I don't think we've really, well, I haven't worked out the number of ways that I can use it effectively. You know, I think there's so many applications of it. Um, yeah, it's just getting using it more and getting used to used to that and how it can really work um, yeah. in all situations. Have, have you looked, Matt, much at like uh, where you're breaking in corners, or is that something that you think about when you're coaching? Because yep. one of the things that I noticed it was weird. So we uh, this was a few years ago. When we were testing with the data logger. We tested Bryn Dickerson, a World Cup downhiller. He used the borrowed brake ace bike because we only had like one bike that it worked on because it took so long to switch it back then but i ended up syncing his braking with his gopro video mm -hmm. and in each different turn you could see like he was braking in a different location you know okay so sometimes gps isn't like super accurate so when if we want like the most accuracy we can um for braking location we export the data sync with his gopro and there's no, no denying where it happened and like how hard he was braking in these sections and he was like he was literally breaking on some turns at the apex. Like that is when he was breaking his hardest. And you hear all kinds of things on the internet about like Greg Menard says you need to break earlier. And this person says you need to break later. What's the, what's the truth in terms of breaking with corners? I think break ace will give us the truth because I think there's a lot of, it was, I think it was Andre Agassi that uh, said, I'm not, don't quote me on this, but I've read it in a couple of books that um, I think it was him that said that he rotated his wrist uh, to get a whole lot of top spin on his forehand. And then tennis coaches started teaching that. And then all of their athletes were getting tendonitis and all sorts of things. So they slow mode and analyzed his forehand. It was just he was hitting it earlier. 
there was no there was no <laughs> rotation of the wrist. So I think what we say and what we do are often two different things, and it's just the way we conceptualize it and think about it. And that's where I think data. I guess this may be my science background, but I think that's where data is the it's the truth. So oh, if you break into, yeah, and sometimes you can if you think about it too, you can break to increase traction. You can break and you can weight the bike, and that will increase traction. And if you you can also break to lose traction. So it depends on the corner, the surface, the radius of the corner. So yeah, that's why it could be interesting. Yeah, that the hardest time that they're breaking could be at the apex, but ultimately um, it's whatever has the the fastest exit speed. Mm, Whether that's yeah, I'm looking forward to investigating this some more. It's one of those <laughs> things that we need the time to do it. But because yeah. well before break ace, I had this theory of I think I'm just like grabbing my brakes for an instant right at the point that I'm turning, and so now I can validate that. But if yes. it comes to explaining to someone how to ride a corner, I'm not going to try and explain that to them. Because like I said earlier, confidence is the biggest thing. If we can have the confidence to do anything in the corner that gives us speed out, you should be doing that, whatever works for you. And grabbing the brakes as you try and make a turn when you haven't sort of just naturally progressed and learned to do that is not going to be confidence inspiring. And so yeah. trying to think what, how should I corner? Hey, well, try something. If it works, makes you feel better, do it. If it gives you more exit speed, that's going to make you corner faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's one of these things that, yeah, you need that data to really know what we're actually doing in a corner. And um, yeah, the way we explain it to ourselves or the way we think about it might just be that's just it the way we're explaining it to ourselves and it's not necessarily the way we're doing it that's funny know, about the andre the andre agassi thing you you mentioned that's pretty yeah. funny because he he would have sworn that he was doing it the way that he said yep as it turns out he wasn't yeah. that's interesting oh yes. we can definitely see that with brake case like just something as simple as front and rear brake balance yeah that's the obvious one where what you feel like you're doing Yep. isn't the reality of where the brake power is yeah and it doesn't yeah, yeah. matter how well you've convinced yourself the data says otherwise i think there's a lot of mountain bike mythology isn't there about <laughs> what we what we do or what we're supposed to do and um yeah what's your it, favorite one well i think like not breaking through a corner is not necessarily um always going to be going to work for you mm. but that corner we're talking about or especially a corner that is a descending corner where you are going to accelerate if there's no support at the end of that corner and you've got to do all your braking at the top of that corner and hope that you're going to be at the right speed by the time you exit it's not really the greatest greatest plan or way to get around that corner so i think to say that we don't want to use brakes at all in a corner is maybe not the greatest advice um yeah. yeah there are some cons for not not using your brakes at all in a corner and i think yeah. we can think about like you always say braking is maintaining speed slowing down you know coming to a stop basically mm. so a lot of time we just want to maintain speed around a corner yeah. I mean, that just is part of just how important braking is like it's yeah. impacts everything because even like going more detailed it's that oh you should never touch your front brakes in a corner and like well never 
That's exactly what Bryn was doing in in yep. that uh, in that video. He was jamming on the front brake at the apex. I was like, "What the heck's going on?" Yeah, but you think about that. So if you can jam it on and you won't lose traction, and you are applying a lot of front brake, you do get a start of that shift of your mass moving a little bit further forward, which then in turn applies pressure to the handlebars, which increases traction, you know, to the or adds traction to the front tire. So if yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, just being being in a static position won't add traction. Mm. Yeah, you've got to apply some sort of force. Yeah, right. Attraction, sorry. Yeah, and that can be done in different ways. It can be changing Action position. is force. Yeah, dropping That's... heels, pushing on the bars, braking. Mm. It all changes the traction. So. Yeah. What, what do you think, though? You know, because everyone says, like, uh, if you if you're turning the bike... The ground all right so if i'm on the or or at least i have side knobs anyway yeah bigger okay, so knobs generally oh uh, yeah well yeah depending on your tires but <laughs> e actually even the xc tires if they're going to have any shape to them not yeah, i'm thinking of like side, a anyway. race yeah. it only has knobs on side so yeah so you're finally on these knobs mm -hmm. but you also have a, a smaller contact patch is is um is it bad to be braking when you're leaning the bike be because of that traction like are you gonna are you more likely to break traction or like is it something we should avoid because if you're cornering there's a high likelihood that you do have the tires leaned i mean well flat you kind corner, of have to flat corner for sure yeah. if you're yeah. leaning the bike in a berm it's probably just the center of the tire that's still on the berm okay okay yeah if you you know think about the berm and then the angle of the bike you're probably still mainly on the um the center of your tire um oh. there's so much going on in that question <laughs> but yeah i'll just add in just a complication to say that well okay if the bike's lent over are you lent over as well or are you yeah. over the contact patch of the tires it's and if you're lent over as well and you like touch the back brake at all it's not just now oh will i like is there traction will i keep traction it's because your weight's on the inside and sort of pushing down and therefore the tires out they will more easily slide but that can be a good thing if you're trying to get around a super tight corner and you want the back to like just slide around point you in the right direction then that's good but if you're balanced over the bike in a way that your force is going directly down into that tire depending on the radius of the corner you can still break as long as you don't break traction you're not going to skid so so many things i would say yes you can still break as long as you have an understanding of what you're trying to achieve by breaking which is the thing that you learn with experience am i trying to maintain my speed and not speed up or am i trying to slow down Am I trying to get myself in a position that lets me ride the next section better? Am I trying to get myself in a speed that lets me ride the next section better? Or am I only caring about where I am right now? Oh, all the questions. Yep. So yep. many variables. But if we go back to our, <clears throat> yeah, the, uh, our leaning as well, if we are connected to the bike and we're in that flat corner and we start to lose traction, then there's not a whole lot of adjustability mm. where you disappear. So, so yeah. And, but that would that's to Rowan's point. If we're leaning with the bike, then our gravitational pull is like a lot. Our center of mass is way further away from the base of support where the contact patches of the tire are. So 
if we've rotated our hips or lent the bike more, that shift a little bit further forward. So yeah, the forces applied are slightly different. So we might be able to maintain, maintain traction a little longer. I'm going to add in a bonus snippet here. It's not related <laughs> directly at all, but I, I like this. Um, if we think about when the bike is leaning, whether we're leaning with it or we're staying above it and leaning the bike, if we steer, so turn the handlebars at that point, we're now turning the front tyre into the trail. We're pushing it down into the dirt. So now the force of that tyre, basically the, the trajectory of that tyre, the direction it's going, is now not just around the corner, but also around and down. So if we can lean the bike a bit when we steer, it's not just a case of we're riding along, the front tyre is turning, and we're expecting it to hold grip and turn. It's now we're actually making a turn, but turn into the dirt, which means it's now generating more traction. So in terms of how to ride a corner, having the bike be angled at all when we steer, and if you'll, you'll find if you think about what you're doing when you're angling the bike and turning, there's actually steering happening. You're always better off. Well, you're always going to get more traction when you steer with the bike lent over. Yeah, <clears throat> it's very the hard. The idea of a smaller contact patch is just one of the considerations. Yeah, and that's that's one thing. I don't know, Rowan, if you've had this experience, but you, you're working with a rider and you're trying to improve their lateral range of motion. So you're thinking about leaning the bike more than the body. And if there is no steering happening with that, so the rider's just leaning the bike on an angle, a lot of the time what happens is that counter movement. So you want to tip the bike to the left and their shoulder moves out to the right. And that's because there's no steering involved. If you actually start to develop that by just steering through some cones first, if you're doing that, you get that natural lean of the bike, like you're saying. Um, because if you just hold the bike by seat, roll it forward and tip it on its side handlebars will flop one way first but then they flop to the inside of the corner that's what the bike wants to do it wants to turn yeah. and lean. at that point it's naturally going yes. around a corner yeah we don't want to fight that yeah yeah it's interesting hey but yeah i found that yeah if we start with just some gentle steering <clears throat> and then using that steering to then add that lean it's yeah classic tip and turn tip and turn the bike Everyone should video themselves doing that. That simple exercise. Yeah. I find there's no person that is doing exactly what they think they're doing. Just no. in terms of hips and shoulders, where you're balanced. Just like, oh, I thought I was pointing straight or I thought I was directly upright or something. And it's, or I thought I was leaning in. But actually, your head might lean in, but your shoulders Sorry. go with it. Your hips go the other way. And yeah, actually, yeah. your center of mass is still way outside. You've just counteracted all of your head movement with yep. your hips. Yeah, and you see Joel over Blueprint Athlete Development with his athletes. They're doing cornering drills all the time. Yeah, it does seem like they do a lot of a lot of cone stuff, a lot of cone stuff, yeah. and they're all fast. Not a yeah. lot. Not enough. More. More cones. <laughs> more, more cones. Cone drills. Yeah, they're good. Awesome. Yeah, nice. I can see now why you guys said that cornering is going to be a really big topic. I think so. Maybe we should kind of start to wind down here. But I want to ask both of you just one your number one cornering tip. 
out of all the definitions and all the complexities of cornering, what's one nugget that someone can walk away with right now from each of you as one cornering tip? Do you have one? There's many things we've covered already, but I think the big one would be to, when you're getting to a corner, don't focus on one point. Scan, like consider looking down the trail as scanning the trail. So you might identify the point on the corner that you're turning, and that's where you're going to, but be scanning through to know where you're going as well. So try not to stay focused on one point. However, you can simplify a corner down to the one point where you are turning. If that's depending on how rough the corner is, it might actually be multiple. But if you can simplify it down by scanning and going, that's where I'm turning, that helps you be in control, not the corner. And then continue looking, look up. I hate that, but looking ahead, looking, scanning further. Yeah. Yeah, sweet. Cool. I'd say, um, yeah. And then couple that with um, think about your stability on the bike, your position, your ability to adjust. A lot of the times we'll get stuck with straight elbows because we're panicked coming into a corner. So, yeah, think about your position on the bike that you still have range of motion to be able to adjust to the conditions. And that'll um that'll set you up for success. Add that to the trail scanning, you're gonna crush it. Yeah, and, and add direction some jack more legs. Direction <laughs> control is in itself a massive thing. So we can talk about cornering being crazy. Like, yeah. okay, part of it is yeah, this trail scanning, but then yeah, okay, body position is always key. Yeah. But, man, there's so many other things. Hey, <laughs> hey, just let's just one tip, guys. Yeah, one that was just the point <laughs> is that there's always things. Yeah. So if you pick one. That's the right way to get better at corner. Yeah. Make sure you still got range of motion in a corner. Stable mm. range of motion. Yep. Yeah, sweet. Now that's awesome. That's awesome. I th I'm going to think about some of these things actually tonight during our Wednesday night XC race. And uh, I'm actually going to change a little bit of think the setup. Think about one thing during the race. <laughs> or one thing at a time. <laughs> I'm going to think about all the opportunities and uh, <laughs> looking ahead. And also, um, what was yours, Matt? Keep your elbows bent, basically. Yeah, make sure you've still got range of motion. Range of motion. All right. Yeah. Easy. Don't simplify it to looking ahead. <laughs> Understanding the trail oh, ahead uh, is probably the better right. way to say it. I, I, I actually wrote some of that down because I think some of those are a good future podcast episode. But I think for today, we'll leave it there. Thanks, Matt, for coming on. Uh, it was awesome to have you. Good to finally get you on. We've been talking about this for a while. And uh, we might have to do a part two sometime if you're keen. So. Yep. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks Sweet. for having me. Hey, cheers, guys.